30 years since special language nests were set up to make sure the Māori language survived. Is it now the job of iwi and community to take on the responsibility? There's a lot of effort, a lot of goodwill and, and a lot of investment, but it's all over the place. I'm Rosemary Rangitawira and in this insight, I track the revitalisation journey of the Reo Māori since the establishment of Gohana Reo and try to find out what the new direction to ensure the well-being of the language might be. The first Kohana Reo, Kukuatsua, was open in 1982 near Wellington, and that year alone, a hundred language nests were set up because Māori feared for the survival of the Reo. The centres thrived under the control of the Department of Māori Affairs. They were whānau-driven, with children picking up the language from elders, predominantly kuia or grandmothers. But a trustee of the Gohana Reo National Transport, Dame Iritana Tafifirangi, says that changed in the early 1990s. What's happened over the years, with the best of intentions, that focus on the whānau and the, and the, and the cultural, natural um, way of learning language was overturned by the move to the Ministry of Education, where the ministry began to require this, that and the next thing, which got into collision with what the Māori focus was. Regulations such as gohana being required to hire qualified teachers meant kuia looked on as experts of Māori and language were left feeling inadequate and many gave up their lead role in teaching te reo. In order for gohana to receive government funding, they are required to follow Ministry of Education guidelines which aim to ensure quality education and child safety. The most recent census in 2006 reported that more than 157,000 people spoke te reo, that's just 4% of the total New Zealand population. This financial year, the government invested nearly $75 million in language initiatives such as community projects, Māori TV and iwi radio. Two past gohana pupils in Wellington are passionate about te reo rangatira. Rogan Thanido and Jesse Huriwai have been successful in their study taking degrees in Māori studies. They believe Māori preschools help prevent Māori children losing their way and turning to crime. And the real, Mr Thanido says during his parents' time they were hit for speaking Māori and told no good would come of it. Mr Thanido says there are tāngata whenua today who don't know who they are and don't know their language or customs. Jesse Huniwai says it's imperative for Māori to know their identity. We all make bad choices at the end of the day, but at the same time, to learn from those mistakes, these other avenues like learning who you are and where you come from, knowing all waiata and all iwi and all that sort of stuff comes, will eventually come into place and enable you to um, grow in terms of um, knowing yourself as identity.
but is there more general support for the spending on the Māori language? A quick snapshot of people's thoughts in Wellington, Dunedin and Christchurch about this use of public money. It's quite a lot of money, huh? 75 million? It depends what they get out of it. If many people learn to speak uh, Māori as a result, then, then great. If not, maybe more is needed. It's definitely the sort of thing we just uh, you know, we have to have. Top 10 priority. Seems like quite a lot in this environment. Things are tight all over the place. Quite happy with that, actually, especially when it goes to Murray Broadcasting. Because looking at Murray Television, it's actually a fantastic... It's really become the de facto uh, what Television New Zealand should be doing. It's become our national channel as opposed to um, the other channels now. It is ridiculous when you look at our health system and our education system at the moment when they were just about to get rid of all those teachers. So, no, I do not agree with that at all. I think it's important that we know more about it and that we can speak it and things, but I can't believe that $75 million goes into it. And, yeah, maybe it's just me not not taking the opportunities that they have out there, so maybe there has to be more into actually um, helping other people see what the opportunities are for them. So there's money down the drain, for sure. Well, it's not going to help people get work, is it? That's pretty much the way I see it. Uh, yeah, we went through all that sort of stuff at school, having to sort of learn it. It was becoming compulsory at that stage. No, that does not interest me at all. We're, we're an English-speaking country, sort of, so that's just how it needs to be, you know? Like, So, yeah, I don't know, I think it's a lot of money to be spending on something like that when, we're, when they could be spending it in so many be more better places. It's a language, and you've got to try to keep it, I suppose. The Hawke's Bay Regional Prison places special focus on language and customs and has a unit running a Te Reo and Tsukunga programme. An inmate in the Hawkesbane Regional Prison, Valentine of Ngāti Kahungunu, was among those performing the welcoming wayata. He is undertaking a reo and program and is adamant that if he had embraced his Māori tanga earlier in life, he wouldn't be in prison. Once you know who you are, then, you know, within your soul, you, you're, you just lead yourself to where you're meant to go to and not, not, down, the, um, not down the wrong track and that sort of stuff. Um, you wouldn't, you know, you've got to want to know it, do can't just force it upon you. But if it's forced, I think it'd have to be in a good way, you know, not to get into line sort of stuff. A Ngāti descendant, Levi, says he wasn't allowed to go to Kohana when he was a preschooler as his grandparents wanted him to go to kindergarten. He says he's always yearned to learn his culture and now while in prison, he's been given the chance. Not knowing much about the tikanga side of um, things was... You know, there's a, you know, I, I strongly believe that if I knew these tools that I have today, I wouldn't be here in jail, prison. So now I do, and um, now I've got the tools that I need. Look forward to a brighter future, my family and I. Yeah, because it was something that I wanted, but I wasn't allowed to do it. It would have played a big part in my life. But um, now, now I'm a, now I'm older. And um, I stand on my own two feet. I can step forward and learn these things now. 
pass on to my kids. An officer overseeing these inmates, Lawrence Iriatara, says the program is to help inmates reconnect with their Māori heritage. A lot of it's about building up their self-esteem. They become very confident. Um, we, we have a number of men that come in here that, uh, for them, it's the beginning of a journey that they, they continue when they get released from here in regards to further studies at um, EIT or Politic and, and so forth. It's, it, it really, it, it's about identity and about them reconnecting with the culture. And the thing is that um, a lot of answers are already there in regards to why they're in here with the offending and so on. So it's, it's about them taking a step back and looking at uh, enhancing their mana, um, like, like I spoke about, building their self-esteem, um, respect for themselves, respect to others. Uh, and, and again, it's, um, and then being able to stand in front of groups and being able to express themselves, uh, both in, in whether it be in English or in the real. So it's really about building their confidence and their self-esteem overall. Mr Iriatana is the Principal Corrections Officer for Te Whare Tirohanga Māori, the Māori Focus Unit, and Te Whare Orangake, a Rehabilitation and Reintegration Unit. It's designed for selected Māori inmates in the last part of their sentence who learn the skills to cope with life outside the prison. Mr Iriatara explains what inmates learn as part of the programme. When we receive the men in, they're very limited, um, very limited in regards to their knowledge. So we pretty much go right back to the beginning. And what I mean by that is, again, them learning about their own identity, their own whakapapa, their own family, because a lot of them don't even have their basic foundation as, as most families do. So we start you know, from their, um, their parents, their grandparents, and then working through to their ancestors that have passed on. And then we start building the foundation um, up from there and start incorporating tikana programs, um, te reo, kapahaka, waiata, and, um, and start fostering that relationship. This is the Kunakaupapa Māori o te Waiungati Porau, which is in Ruatoria, about 130 kilometres northeast of Gisborne. The Kura movement began in 1985 with the first Māori immersion school, Huani Waititi, in Auckland. Kura were primarily set up to continue the cultural development of Gohana children moving into primary education. The principal of the Waiū, Phil Heaney, says his school was formally set up in the early 1990s. Ten years ago, we would have probably had one of the strongest kura in the country in terms of real capacity. We had um, native speakers you know, all over the, the kura, um, queer um, great number of queer around the kura, and um, at this point in time, they're all gone. The kura has now extended and caters to preschoolers in Punareo, kurakaupapa pupils and students in high school or farikura. Mr Heaney says the philosophy or kaupapa of the kura is to nurture the students in the Ngāti Porau dialect or mita. But he says promoting the iwi mita faces challenges when any national representation of te reo introduces other tribal dialect. Mr Heaney says that in turn undermines the distinctiveness of Ngāti Porau mita. The language strength we had in terms of the queer, the native speakers we had who could say, you know, this is the language that we spoke. This is how we spoke it. Um, we've had to redevise our strategies, I guess, in terms of um, trying to ensure that there's um, some authentic exemplars um, on hand, and that's where the likes of Radio Ngāti Pro is really important in um, in the retention of Te Reo Wate Kāinga. Um, otherwise, I guess we are vulnerable 
to experts. Mr Haney says despite the recognition of the importance of immersion schools, there are extra difficulties when it comes to maintaining the differing dialects of iwi. Darlene Roger is the program director of the station. She explains that her primary goal for her station, which is just down the road from Te Kurukaupapa Māori o Te Waiū, is to promote Ngāti Purau Reo. If they can turn on Radio Ngāti Poro and know that the reo that they're receiving on Radio Ngāti Poro is te reo wake o Ngāti Poro and they learn it from there, um, then I think that we're achieving our goals. Um, I think there's nothing worse than, say, someone from... I'll use Ngāti Poro. Someone from Ngāti Poro uh, learning somewhere else um, and then trying to pass off their reo as, as te reoake o Ngāti Poro. I mean, they may know no, no different, um, but that's our job, is to teach them that there is a difference. The project manager at the station, Mary Jean Wairehu, is working on the second instalment of a government-funded Reo Māori DVD resource, Tōku Reo Tōku Ohoho. She gives me an idea of what the project's about by showing me the first series on her laptop. <laughs> So just various pictures of real typical uh, Nāti horses, horse sports. Oh, okay, so that's what happens. Mm. So the word that he's, you know, punua comes up on the DVD itself with an explanation. Mm. Puts it into context, um, you know, those different kupu that we don't we don't use every day or, or anymore. The word punua means a baby animal. These free DVDs were handed out to the community to promote the reo and the Ngāti Puro dialect. In some places, though, the reo isn't something to be learnt, but is more part of day-to-day life. On my way to catch a flight in Gisborne, I stop off in Tokomaru Bay to visit a store recognised as the first in the country to put up bilingual signs. So I'm here with uh, Bruce Holm here in your store, uh, the Four Square on Tokomaru Bay. Where did the notion of having bilingual signage come from? 
It came from the community. I was approached by the community, and uh, they said, you know, how about it? And um, it was a, it was a no-brainer, really, in the sense that it was the obvious thing to do for any and every reason you can think of. So you were asked to um, put up the, the signage. How has it been received? Oh, it's fantastic, really. I mean, uh, even now, still, you know, it has a sort of resonance. People will still come into the store after all these years and and take photos and uh, or, you know, just stand there and, you know, point out to others. And customers are enthusiastic. He's for the iwi, this fella. For the iwi. Matua, Matua Bruce, we call him. <laughs> What do you think about having bilingual signage? If you look around the shop, there's translations of words like miraka, milk, and... Oh, it's, it's, it's got to help the rangatahi somewhere, doesn't it? You know, just, it's, it's in front of you, so we all, you know... I know limited Māori, um, didn't get to spend time with my nanny when I was a young boy, but um, any way to improve your te reo is, um, hey, is, 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 must be a plus. Well, I think if you have a sign up there, it should be full with te reo in that. Sorry, not Tauiwi and then Māori, then Tauiwi. Nah, if you want to put a sign up, it should be in Māori. We've come right down the coast and it's been really, really good. And we live on the Wanganui River, so you see that. Wow, so this must be a good experience for you? Well, it is. Yes, it is. There should be more of it all around the country. So where will the responsibility for promoting te reo lie in the future? The Māori Affairs Minister, Peter Sharples, wants to hand over the task to Iwi and Hapu as they're the guardians of their dialects. Speaking at Gisborne Airport, the chairperson of the Trust Board, gave his response to the minister's plans. Many ministers have said we are going to do this for Māoridom. One classic example, of course, was the dismantling of the Department of Māori Affairs by saying that we are returning the resources to Iwi, but that never happened. And so we have another minister saying that what he wants is to hand it back to Iwi. How? Because having said that, there is still the fostering in a very active and proactive manner of the Māori Language Commissioner and the language, Māori Language Commission as the authority on Māori language. So until such time as we see exactly what is meant by the minister in giving back to Iwi, I cannot comment further except to say that from a Ngātipuru perspective, we are the only ones who can teach our reo. For that reason, part of our settlement is a $20 million package as part of a cultural redress area within which the reo fits. Mr Mahuika says a portion of the $20 million settlement received in 2010 will go on initiatives such as training teachers in the Ngāti Puro dialect and producing books and stories about Ngāti Puro. The tribe's strategy is aimed at helping preschoolers through to school neighbours learn about the customs of Ngāti Puro, but it's still to be put in place. In Wellington, the Minister of Māori Affairs, Dr Peter Sharples, speaks of a major report on Te Reo, published last year by the independent panel, Te Pai Pai Motuhake. Dr Sharples plans to go back to Iwi and Hapu again from this year to find out what they think about the findings of the report, which was a review of the state of Te Reo Māori. Their idea is that you have these regions, eight or so, and and they control a reo in their tribal areas. And the, 
Puteh should go to them, and they define how it exists through their cultural eyes and so on. There's nothing wrong with that, provided you make sure you've got the expertise and you build into that the knowledge, the process that's involved in, say, kura, that you build into it the role of the teachers, and because and, and, without teachers and kura, you've got nothing. Coordinating the efforts to make sure that it really, really works well. The report, called Te Reo Māori Order, says it would be naive to feel secure about the progress of revitalisation, despite efforts over the past 25 years. It says the language is still at risk, and to ensure its survival into the next century, a large pool of Te Reo speakers is necessary. But how to achieve that? Te Reo Rangatira is appreciated by a wide range of people, if the variety of ethnicities attending language classes is anything to go by. And Thauranga Lois Smith talks about her passion for Te Reo. I've always been interested in the Māori language. I used to work in the Māori Land Court. And I used to have guys telling me all the time how to say the words properly, you know, Māori men. And I got a love of it. And I do, I do think it's a beautiful language. And I'm very interested in watching the TV. You know, I watch the Māori, I watch um, Te Karere, just to hear it and, well, try and learn it, of course. I think that it's a pity that we weren't all taught it. Right, I'm just, it's just so sad that years ago, it got banned from the schools. And in Wellington, Alan Price speaks of his love of the language. You know, I'd go along to, you know, exhibitions at Te Papa, in pictures on the walls all around Te Papa, and I just found myself being drawn to it. I've said on a number of occasions, I should have been born in New Zealand because I love this kind of thing. The report, Te Reo Māori Order, recommended that 80% of Māori homes should be speaking in Te Reo by 2050. A former Minister of Māori Affairs, Barikura Horomea, admires the Chinese and Samoan people for the way they maintain their language in a new country. He believes Tangata Whenua can learn lessons from the Samoan community. They keep it alive because they practice it at home, they practice it at church, and, or they live it, sorry, rather than practice it. And, and, and we need to do that. You know, you go to Tuhoi, they're still strong in their Um You go to some of those places, uh, I was brought up around it, most people talk Māori, uh, but that's waning now, you know. We're at the end of an era where we don't have full pai-pai, where we don't have the orators consistently uh, doing that. So we need new practices and we need to, to recognise that other cultures watch what they've done, and we do it. The Ministry of Pacific Island Affairs works to protect and preserve Pacifica languages in New Zealand. A chief advisor, Daifu Hekat-Robertson, believes the model for maintaining language in Samoan communities could provide ideas for tāngata whenua. The strength of the churches is that there are natural community activities that happen around that, that bring people together. And so it's about activities that people can be connected to that bring them into an environment where there will be intergenerational components there. You will always have the elders present, which will provide a platform for four generations to be 
in in one a natural community setting, which I think is a strong environment to nurture those types of languages. The United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organisation, UNESCO, says half of the more than 6,000 international languages spoken today will no longer exist by the end of the century. Anyway, come and have a look at my Welsh room while you're here. <laughs> it's a bit of a mess, but this is where I do a lot of my work. Uh, when we came, in 1990, we had the Commonwealth Games. Derek Williams was born in Wales, but for 26 years has resided in New Zealand and now lives in Auckland. He works to maintain his language, speaking it at home and devoting some of his time to mentoring others of Welsh descent as they try to learn their native tongue. He has his own ideas about how to increase the use of the reo. Māori's got quite a strong iwi. Perhaps they could do something and probably get, get them into groups and meet for, you know, short periods, certainly over dinner or where, where, when you meet over kai, and just to be speaking Māori. So if you want to have the apple sauce or the tomato sauce or whatever it is or the meat, do it all in Māori. There's a wide range of ideas about how to keep the reo as a living language. Dame Iritana Tafifirangi of the Kohana movement says for her it's vital that Māori lead the way. I think we've arrived at a time uh, in our journey of our language that there's a lot of effort, a lot of um, goodwill and, and a lot of investment, but it's all over the place. And so there needs to be you know, a, a, a coherent um, language strategy and plan that we all contribute to instead of everyone doing their own. The Minister of Māori Affairs, Dr Sharples, agrees. But he's unsure how long it will take before the government can hand over almost total control to tangata whenua. All governments have had to cut down and so on, stuff like this. I mean, they're selling assets just to get a cash flow, to get some money in to buy other stuff. And, uh, and that, that means they're not, the government is not ready for those ideas. But our role first is to prepare our people for that kind of change, and then we just do it. And you act, like we did with Kohanga Kura, you just force it to happen, and then, and then you get government coming along with you. In the meantime, Māori language experts believe that Rangatira has a better chance of survival if it becomes a language used in everyday life, a language spoken in the home. I'm Rosemary Rangitawira and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radioinz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight.